Hello, everybody. We have a very special episode for you today, but first I have a big announcement. The Paranormalist Podcast has our first sponsor. Um, Many of you will recall from listening to previous episodes, me talking about my CBD uh, use and how it's really changed my life in the past several months. So I reached out to the brand that I personally use and uh, got them to be our sponsor. It is Chemistry Bionaturals, which is a company that makes all-natural, organically-grown CBD oils and topicals. Each blend in their line of products is terpene-infused to bring you targeted benefits to suit your needs. They use 99% pure pharmaceutical-grade CBD isolates and a hemp seed carrier oil to bring you omega-3s and 6s, which help with inflammation and overall health. All the products are also THC-free. Beside potency... Chemistry Lab tests their products for pesticides, metals, and solvents to ensure the safety and quality of their products, which, by the way, are created in an FDA-registered facility. All of these lab results are published on their website for 100% transparency of their products. What they say is in the bottle truly is what's in the bottle. Most other CBD companies aren't as transparent as Chemistry, so you can never truly know what it is that you bought from most other brands. To find out more information on CBD and terpenes, as well as shopping their products, please visit their website at chemistrybionaturals.com. Our listeners will get 15% off their first order when they use the code PARANORMAL at checkout. All of this information will be in the description uh, of the episode, so you can just go down there and, and click it and review it. All right. Well, this episode is a very special one because we have somebody that pretty much, if you know a whole lot about the paranormal field, he needs no introduction. His name is Dale Kazmarek, and he is founder of the Ghost Research Society. They are an organization that uses a lot of cutting-edge technology um, and that he will be talking about in this episode, as well as um, he will be sharing some of his best EVPs with us. Now, I've cut them in, so you'll be able to hear actual EVPs of actual spirits that they've caught it's a great episode super informative and it's really cool to see where like everything has graduated from and where everything is going to so please enjoy Hello and welcome to the Paranormalist Podcast. As always, I am your host, Kenny Dodson, and I am here once again by not one, but two paranormalists. Um, Patty, do you want to introduce our guest? I am more than honored to introduce Dale Kazmarek. Dale has been in this field for so many years, and anybody who is serious about paranormal research not only recognizes his name, but has great respect for his work. And I am honored truly honored dale to be able to spend this evening talking with you thank you so much sir oh it's my pleasure so dale um i'd like to start out for everybody so everybody knows exactly who you are and what you've been doing do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got into the paranormal sure um most people that i've contacted throughout the years have had a paranormal experience and that's usually how most people get involved in the paranormal i had a very uneventful childhood Uh, So it wasn't very exciting. I did not have any paranormal experiences. However, I will say my grandparents and my parents, both Polish descent, uh, told me a lot of ghost stories when I was a youngster. Um, Polish uh, from the old country, from around the area I grew up with. And even though as a very young, impressionable six or seven-year-old child, uh, I, I would have nightmares just like anybody. But I always wanted to hear another story. And even my parents, when they were growing up, there's a very famous story in Chicago called Resurrection Mary, a hitchhiking ghost story that's been known since the latter 1930s. My mom and dad, well, mostly my dad, I should say, chased around this ghost beginning in around 1939, 1940, uh, when he would take my mom out on a a dinner, a movie, a, a theater pass or whatever, and on the way home, driving around the cemetery in the middle of the night. So these are the kind of stories I grew up with, and this is what really got me involved. 
later on life to try to figure out if these stories I had been told were simply urban legends, uh, old wives' tales, uh, or they were something else. So it, back around the mid-1970s or so, I started a group uh, with um, uh, several like-minded people in the field, and it was a kind of a loosely associated group um, called the Ghost Trackers Club in 1977. And I started out as a research assistant, uh, myself and Martin B. Ricardo, who was the co-founder of the group. And I worked for about five years as a research assistant with that group until 1982, um, when Marty wanted to move on to other things and said, take on the group, take over the group at this point. And we renamed it at that point the Ghost Research Society, which is a bit more indicative of what we do, ghost research. And we've, we've been running with it ever since. I travel across the country. I do um, investigations at places. We use some of the most highly advanced state-of-the-art equipment uh, in the field today. I do a number of presentations, uh, ghost tours in Chicago. I analyze spirit photographs. I'm an author of six books. Uh, so I got my hands in many, going in many different directions, but I've, uh, I really enjoy doing what I do. And I would like to touch a little bit back to Bachelor's Grove. Wasn't it somebody in your group that did the, the photograph, the, I believe they call her the Weeping Madonna, or the, but the photograph of the woman sitting on the bench? Absolutely. Uh, this was back in uh, August the 10th of 1991. Uh, we were out there in broad daylight just to show everybody you don't have to ghost hunt in the dark. Uh, we get a lot of great stuff during uh, broad daylight hours. We were at Bachelors Grove Cemetery, a very famous cemetery in the southwest side. In fact, one of the first locations I investigated. And uh, what I still believe it might be the most haunted cemetery in the world. We were out there with our group. We gave everybody a map of location, uh, made them walk through. And with the equipment they were carrying to mark on the map, if they the equipment fluctuated, if they had any personal experiences, and then later kind of gathered a group together to see who are the sites where the hotspots were in the cemetery. And a number of people checked this, this, uh, this location that had a checkerboard tombstone. So we went back there, and one of the people in my group, uh, Jude Huff, uh, at that point was using a 35-millimeter camera and had black and white high-speed infrared film, which I had told her how to properly load in the camera, how to operate it, how to develop it, so forth and so on. And she snapped pictures throughout the cemetery, but she snapped one in particular of this uh, this stone, which there was nobody sitting on there. And, of course, back then you had to wait till you get the film developed. It's not like it is today where you got that instant picture, uh, what I call instant gratification. <laughs> so you had to wait a week to get that film back or more sometimes. So when she got the film back, she saw way on the far corner of the, this image what looked like somebody sitting on a tombstone. Now, in closer examination, um, she actually enlarged it and sent me into enlargement. It looks like a woman in a white dress, right down to her ankles, in profile, sitting there, part of her head, part of her knees are semi-transparent, and there was obviously nobody in my group dressed in a Victorian gown in the middle of August in Chicago in the cemetery doing an investigation. <laughs> and in fact, nobody had, had even come through that even vaguely looked like that. I mean, we were all dressed in blue jeans or shorts or uh, short sleeve shirts in the middle of August, pretty hot. And throughout the years, you know, people have tried to say, well, it's a fake, it's this, it's that, and so forth. Uh, the thing I like about this particular image is we have a negative. Uh, we have something we can go back to say it's simply not a digital image. It's not a bunch of ones and zeros. It's simply something we can hold in our hand. You can manipulate a picture all you want, but you can never manipulate a negative. That's true. And I have to tell you, it is one of the best photographs I have ever seen in the paranormal field. And this photograph done in infrared was done long before the standard investigators were using infrared. That's That was maybe 15, 20 years prior to most people even hearing about the idea of shooting paranormal photographs in infrared. It was literally um, cutting edge at the time. And um, I will, I mean, we're going to try to put a picture of that up there. I'm sure there's plenty of them out there on the internet to, to find. Um, 
I, I've always admired that picture. It was, um, and again, what he said about the, the negative is vitally important. Today, it's so difficult with electronics to know. Now, you can go into a, a camera and look at the XF information to see if it's been doctored, but with there's so many editing equipments and things like that that you can use that um, it's so hard to, to verify a photograph these days. I, I get people that come to me all the time and ask me about a picture, and I honestly can't give them a straight answer because all I see is an, an image on a, a little screen or a, a picture that they printed out that I have nothing to back up. The day of the negatives is is sadly gone, which really makes our, our ability to document a photograph much more difficult. What do you think about that? Oh, absolutely. And the when I look at photographs, and I've been involved in in uh, looking at photographs for more than 25 years now, uh, it started out like, uh, just send me your photograph. And then back then, it was it was snail mail. People would actually mail me photographs, uh, mail me a uh, you know a letter, and I'd look at them, and then I'd send you know the photograph back, and then send my analysis back. And now everybody you know emails everything. Um, but it's real easy, at least for me, I got so many different software programs that I do use. Uh, I believe that I can catch uh, well over 90% of doctored images. Uh, and then I'll catch all of them, perhaps. I mean, there are some very clever people out there. Uh, I, have, I have seen some pretty amazing images and some pretty amazing video that I believe has not been doctored. Um, one of the programs I use is called JPEG Snoop. Uh, and JPEG Snoop is a free shareware software that you can find on the internet. Uh, the idea behind that is when you load that particular uh, digital image in there, as you know, there's what you call EXIF settings. And basically, they're the settings that are relevant to when that picture was taken, uh, all the parameters, and there's, I mean, there's, there's pages and pages of parameters. If that image at all was doctored, if it was rescanned and then resaved, those settings will not be the same. And it'll actually say this image has been manipulated and or doctored. And in some cases, it will catch uh, the particular piece of software you use to doctor the image, whether it be Photoshop, whether it be Adobe, whether it be whatever. Um, some People can get around that somehow and others because <clears throat> as the program is being updated, the, um, the different software uh, programs that are used to doctor certain images have not yet caught up to the program itself. So there may be some lapse there. But that's one of the, image, uh, one of the best uh, tools that I use. Uh, for digital and you know my biggest thing now is I get so many of these ghost applications uh, that are on the on the internet and you know they're the thing about those is all you got to do is go to the application and just download a screen image of every single app uh, every single image that's in that particular app and you're most likely going to come across it so what I do with, with those is I have a large database of those already stored so when somebody sends me a photograph, I think, oh, well, wait a second, I think I've seen that photo, that particular image of that woman or that man. I look through my database, and sure enough, here it is. So I send the image back to them, tell them what, 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 what uh, uh, application you used, and people just usually just go away after that point. I was going to say, <laughs> is they, are they just trying to trick you? Is that all it is? Yeah, well, I think it's it's a it's a it's they're trying to trick me, or in some cases they're just they're just thinking that you know um, they're going to send something that they know has been doctored, and perhaps I'm not clever enough, uh, or maybe you know they might be able to get some monetary um, you know, uh, reimbursement for uh, you know posting this somewhere. I mean, I've actually had people say, well. You know, I got this tremendous photograph, and I mean, would you buy it off me? I said, well, I'd have to see it first. Well, uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> and then, yeah, then that's the, the kind of a telltale sign right there, you know? Yes, I agree. Sure, they could be like, it's got Dale's stamp of approval, so it's real. <laughs> well, I, particularly like whenever the ghost hunting shows first started and stuff, there was a lot of people who um, 
came out that had a picture, whether it was real or not, who really did believe they had the million dollar picture. Mm -hmm. And they were constantly hawking that stuff and getting, it was very aggressive about it at points. I know I bumped into some of those people and also people who wanted to be on TV. Like if I would get a phone call from somebody who said they needed assistance, um, usually somewhere in the first three or four minutes of the conversation, I would either hear one, um, so am I going to be on TV? Or two, do I have to be on TV to get help? And believe me, the have to be people were the ones that we chose to assist. Because I'm sure, and I'm sure you've bumped into that sort of thing as well. People that were just looking for um, some form of self-aggrandizement. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, I just hate to say it, but I mean, the, in my opinion, and I've you know, I've been around for a while, and I've seen these uh, the, these TV ghost shows come and go uh, a dime a dozen. Um, the majority of these so-called TV shows that come out here, where you know they got you know the blood coming through the walls, you know, and they got uh, you know something like the Amityville horror, where you got you know things flying all over the place. You know, I mean. You can find anybody in the world that can that will lie to be on TV. I mean, there, there's 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 a dime a dozen for that too. And then especially if you wave some money in front of them, oh yeah, say say this and go on TV. Um, I won't say this, but I know there are some major ghost hunting shows on TV that have done just that. Mm-hmm. And I, I I've actually talked to the people that were on their show, and they said, well, they paid me to be on the show. Um, you know, but they said it basically with, a, with we, me never using their name. In other words, right. I couldn't come sure. forward with their name. That's but okay. I mean, it's, it's enough proof for me to, to kind of doubt a lot of these, you know, uh, really bizarre claims on, on some of these TV shows. Not, not all these TV shows are like that, unfortunately, but, uh, or fortunately, but some are. And I think people also have to recognize a couple other things. Um, these shows are called docudramas because they're dramas. They they kind of know going in basically what's going to happen. A production company's not paying a couple hundred thousand dollars for an episode just to have a bunch of ghost hunters get skunked, you know. <laughs> and we both we all know that. So there's a reason that these shows play the way they are. They are they are fictional in many respects. Some of the sites are really haunted and some of the you know people that they they interview are I've also had the um the opportunity to be actually at the the filming of some of the ghost hunting shows for a couple of different groups and to talk to people who were participants and um found you know lots of different things from the little tricks like you know clicking your cell phone um on in your pocket will kick an emf meter and make it spike um to a lot of other little things that i was i was told were stunts that were used to make things happen to get it more dramatic yeah i mean as an editor like i can definitely speak to that like there there are definitely sound effects that i hear and i'm like that's a sound effect you know like i can tell that that it's been added in post-production well i mean i get i get in so much trouble sometimes getting on chat rooms because people just kick me off chat rooms left (laughs) and right and you know i mean i'm not out there to bash anybody okay that's not my purpose sure but i'm trying to open people's eyes to how easily people can manipulate something i mean i know for a fact like these rem pods these 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 melmeters that have the proximity probe they can go off very easily just by keying in a walkie-talkie. Oh yeah, I, I mean, agree that with is, you. That is absolutely. I mean, I've proved it. I mean, I know the frequency it's on. I mean, even the, some of those devices can be set off by turning off, turning on a fluorescent light in the other room because that's very sensitive to that as well. Um, there are so many different ways to 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 cause these devices. Uh, one thing that kind of really you know I'm, I'm visibly upset about is that people just don't know how to use their equipment properly or what type of equipment to use. So many people will use what I what they what's called a Trifield 100 EX. Yes. A 100 EX. If you if you Google that, the first thing it'll say on there: this device is sensitive to internal AC fields. So you're going to get you're going to get contamination off light sockets, light switches, anything that produces electromagnetic fields. If you want to use one that's not affected, you use the tri-field natural EM meter. 
which is not affected by AC fields, and you never see any of these TV ghost hunting shows ever doing that. Why? Mm-hmm. Because, they, because they never go off, <laughs> or so very here, rarely. Here goes the geek in me, because I have to tell you, I could talk this stuff with you all night, Dale, because I've lived it. Um, you know, you don't, you don't see anybody on these shows talking about, you know, what the lighting situation is whenever they're running their backgrounds and does it change and um you know and they're not taking background readings and stuff like that you don't see any of the stuff that i would legitly want to know if i was an investigator going in and other things i see that i've seen that i think are just horrendous are things like when they're using the um the thermal cameras and you'll see a hand on a wall and you know you and i both know you can put your hand on a wall and 10 minutes after you've left your taking your hand off that wall the thermal is going to pick up an imprint of a hand on a wall i'm not impressed right well the thing with thermal and a lot of people just don't understand with thermal everybody wants a thermal camera a flare camera a before that they were called uh, a thermal vision cameras they all want them because they think they'll pick up ghosts well those are contact readings. Uh, those devices will pick up a contact reading of a wall, a window, a floor, a doorknob. The only way it's going to pick up a ghost, if that ghost physically has mass that can be reflected off of and then brought back to the device to register as a cold spot. These TV shows that's, that, that say that, oh, look at the hot spot. That's got to be a ghost. Well, as we know just from studying ghosts, most ghosts don't don't produce hot spots. They produce cold spots. If you have a heat signature, it's usually an indication of a living thing. Right. Yeah, I, I like I said, I, I the inner geek in me is just getting all excited here because I I don't usually get to talk this with a lot of people. Thank you, but you know you're right. There is so much. I will say the only the real big plus for me, I think it's a curse and a plus, is that the shows have opened up people's minds on the subject of the paranormal. But on the other hand, um, everybody and their uncle thinks they're a ghost hunter today, and there's a lot of places where. They weren't haunted t- 10 years ago, but now all of a sudden they've got a great story because you can charge a hundred bucks a head to take people through the place. And so it's been a kind of a double-edged sword, these TV shows coming out. Um, I think and- it has closed a lot of minds too, though, I honestly. because really? people, Yeah, because there are a lot of times on, on those shows where you can just, you can spot like, oh, there was obviously a producer behind the door and slammed it shut. Like they <laughs> they can prove it wrong in their mind and they're just like, uh, if they were already like leaning towards ghosts aren't real, it's just gonna, they're going to be done with it. You know? See, I don't think there's anything that's ever going to take the place of good, hard research. And that's yeah. just not, that's not video friendly. Right. Well, I mean, the, the whole idea, you just talked about a door slamming. I mean, how many times are the reports maybe in a home, in a building, in an old hospital or wherever of door, of this particular door opening and closing? And then you watch the TV show set it up, and they never, or very rarely, I should say, I should maybe not use the word never, but very rarely do they film the entire door frame. Exactly. So there's always that, that, to me, that indication, well, did somebody pull it? Is there a string on it? Is there something, like you said, somebody on their side slamming the door? Um, You know, when when we set up stuff, we try to, as best as we possibly can, Sometimes we're not able to do that because of the space limitations, but try to film the entire door, the entire hallway, wherever the case may be. Just so we we have some, some – when we later show this to people, that that's one less area they can debunk because exactly. they can say, well, you, you filmed the whole thing. Okay, great. Now you got the whole thing. Now if the door opens, and it usually doesn't open for me, but yeah. it's, it, uh, it's, it gives you that, that – that gratification that if it does open, that people will be able to at least say, okay, hey, it wasn't caused by somebody pulling a string one way or the other. And I know you've done a lot of work with EVP as well. Um, you sent me some amazing EVPs. I spent like two hours yelling at my kids, oh my gosh, you got to hear this one, listen to this one, listen to this one, this is really good. So I would like to bef- um, to, to go through some of the EVPs you sent me and um, share them because they are a, they are really good examples of what EVP should sound like. Um, you know, so many times on TV today we hear, you know, 
And it said, oh, that said, let's run down the hall. And I'm like, no, that said, (laughs) you know, because that's all I heard. EVP comes in different classifications for anybody who doesn't know it. And um, most time it's classified as A, B, and C. And uh, A being, of course, the best. And I was really blown away by some of your EVPs. Let's start with some of the EVPs that you feel are your very best. Okay. So which ones would you choose if you were going to show examples of the very best of your EVP? Uh, Of the ones that you have, uh, one of the ones that I thought was one of the best ones we caught here very recently was the, the little girl. Uh, we were in a place called the Booth House in Harpers Ferry, West Virginia. Uh, it's called the Booth House because supposedly, and it hasn't never been verified, that John Wilkes Booth might have lived there at one time, or at least some of the booths. And we went in there to do an investigation. We were, we had just had an amazing experience actually downstairs in the basement, and uh, somebody got their t- coat tugged, and this is not something that we kind of play because we're playing like to be on TV. I mean, we're actually in real life. We're, d- we're doing something down there, and somebody really got freaked out by this. So we go upstairs, and we're, we're kind of asking questions and so forth. And uh, you hear the researchers kind of in the background, and they're trying to uh, ask, the, uh, you know, for George to come through because George kept coming through. And you hear this woman kind of saying, come on, don't be shy. And then you hear a little girl's voice in the background, which is pretty amazing. And what did the little girl say? We will put the EVP in. The little girl basically is, is says, mommy. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And it's very clear. It's not extremely loud okay it was a true evp because nobody heard it they continued right on to the next question so it wasn't what you call a disembodied voice which is a little bit different which is obviously much more exciting when you actually hear it with your own ears and can record at the same time but this was something where people can would would hear it only on the playback so what i did with the that clip is i just sent it to you as the raw clip and then I kind of put little girl enhanced, which all I just took that one little section of her just saying mommy. And all I did was clip it out and just in, increase the volume. Nothing more. Yeah, I, I heard it. And it was really it really is a good EVP. Can um, I ask a question? Sure. Um, so when you get like little kids, do you find that to be the case always? Or are they able to do a disembodied voice? Because I've always wondered is when a child like when somebody dies and and they are a child, um, do they have as much strength as say the soul of an adult to be able to conjure that kind of voice? Well, the way I've always looked at it uh, is that children, generally speaking, uh, are more sensitive to picking up phenomena than we are because they have no preconceived notions of what a ghost is. Um, I call it the Casper syndrome. Uh, Casper, the friendly ghost, Mm -hmm. remember... From the cartoons, the adults were scared of the ghosts, but the children played with the ghosts. So I feel, and first of all, let me go back a little bit. I think it's very sad when you hear a child as a ghost, especially calling for its mommy or its daddy and being separated and still trying to make that connection again. But I truly believe that because children can be more sensitive and also, as you know, as they grow into adolescence, sometimes create poltergeist activity through telekinesis or psychokinesis. I believe that their spirits, if they die as a child, can be as potent or even more potent sometimes than an adult because, again, they are in that, that, that stage of their development where there is no right well i guess there's right from wrong but i mean there's no like hey hey there's no such thing as ghosts and blah 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 and so forth so they i believe because of their more vibrant energy because obviously as you grow older you kind of slow down you know you kind of mope around like this but a, a child is just all full of energy and i think that's part of the reason you get so many children's ghosts and EVPs. 
And, and what is another one of the EVPs that you um, would like to share tonight? I know there are some other really cool ones that I listened to. Well, we, we, we started using a device here uh, called the Phasma Box. Okay. Now, a Phasma Box is an application, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them a plug. You can find it on, on extremesenses.com, and they have a number of apps. Now, it's a, it's a Windows-based unit, so you have to use either a tablet or a laptop. You can't use it on your cell phone. And what it does, it uses internet radio mixed with sound banks, a reverb and an echo effect, and in theory, what you're doing is you're asking questions and you're res they're responding to you and in sometimes in full sentences. I have two very good examples uh, that I sent you. Uh, one of the examples uh, was at a cemetery in Goshen, Indiana called McConaughey Cemetery. Now, this cemetery just had a sign. We don't even know how many graves were there. Uh, so we were there uh, at a public meet and greet, and afterwards there was investigations of these locations. So we went up there, we turned the device on, and it's kind of a you know, kind of a creepy, creepy sounding. Sometimes it almost looks sounds like it's really out of this world. We asked the question, "How many graves are here?" And there was a short pause, and then a voice comes through that says, "More than a hundred." Now, the other people that were in my group with me, you, you'll hear the instant reaction, and they, <laughs> they repeat that same thing without me saying it. Did you hear that? More than 100. How many people are buried here? More than 100. Over 100? Did you hear that? Yeah. How many people are buried here? Over a hundred? Did you hear that? Yeah. How many people are buried here? Over a hundred? Did you hear that? Yeah. That was very cool. So, again, an intelligent response. Right. The other one is even more intelligent. We were at a place called the Elgin Casket Factory. Now, it's a building that actually built caskets in Elgin, Illinois. We were there to do an investigation, and around Halloween, they kind of dressed the place up as one of these scary walk-through haunted houses for adults that want to get the bejesus scared out of them, you know? <laughs> yep. So we were sitting there, and one of the devices that I, that I, I love to use is called a SLS, XCAM SLS, it's Structured Light Sensor Device. It's where you're, you're shooting this camera and if something shows up uh, in the mapping area, it'll show up as a, as a stick figure. You've probably seen those on television. It can yes. be very expensive. One of my team members was holding this and there was a, a fake fuse box on the wall that wasn't connected to anything. It was there for effect only. And this figure was holding on or playing with the fuse box in some way because you can see its hands on the fuse box and he goes this guy this thing's touching this fuse box so i said okay if you're there turn one of those switches on there was a short pause and it says the voice came through that says it doesn't work turn one of the switches why it doesn't work it doesn't work turn one of the switches why it doesn't, it doesn't work. work. Turn one of the switches. Why? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. There you go. Bang. How cool is that? Now, it's saying that the fuse box didn't work, which yep. is absolutely true. And so when you get responses like that with this, I was not a big fan of any applications whether it be on your cell phone pretty much or in your, some of your other tablet devices and so forth. 
Um, and even for when the, the ghost boxes or spirit boxes first came out until much later when I tried to play with them a lot more, experiment cool with them, and we began to pick up a lot more intelligent responses. This device from the get-go has very intelligent responses. Now, just to give you a very, just a short, you know, little uh, kind of like dessert here for that. I mean, you don't have this EVP because it's so brand new. We were just doing an investigation when we were in a, in a, in a location that had uh, a, a trains going past back and forth. And I just kind of said, there's always a train when we're, every time we're doing an EVP, there's always a train nearby. What's that sound in the background? And the thing says, a train whistle. Wow. And I said, well, thank you. Thank you so much for that response. <laughs> and it goes, you're welcome. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's interacting. It's interactive. It's exactly. Exactly. And that's what these, what I call these real EDP devices, uh, what I love to use them for. Uh, because in the past, when the old, the old school EDP, you would turn on a digital recorder, you'd ask a question, you leave about 20 seconds of blank space. You'd ask another question and so forth and so on. And then you'd go home day later, two days later, and listen to it. To me, that's not, that's not a two-way communication. That's like a one-sided conversation. Right. There's no interaction. Now with these devices, these real-time devices, whether they be obeluses, spirit boxes, mini portals, phasma boxes, you know, AM sweepers, whatever the case may be, you can build on that response. You'll get a response back. You can then ask a further question and hold a conversation. And that's what we're trying to do is actually interact with the spirit that may be there. Have you been able using these devices to have a conversation that elicits information you can later go back and document? Yes. Yes. In some cases we have. Um, I would have to give it some thought, but there have been some cases where um, we weren't quite sure of some of the history of a particular area uh, or even the circumstances beyond some beyond uh, 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 that somebody had died, what their cause of death was. Right. And through their communications with these spirits that gave us this information – oh, okay, let's go back and check that out later when we get back to our home base. And sure enough, it worked out that, that was, they, they were eliciting a response and telling how they died or whatever uh, to um, something we didn't know about when we were there. You realize now, Dale, I have to buy some new toys, right? <laughs> well, all of this sounds incredibly useful for your paranormal forensics. It does. I mean, that's it just seems like anyone because you can talk to them yourself but anyone who can't like a mark nesbitt this would be perfect for yeah I, i'm like i said i'm going to be getting some new toys <laughs> um because that that uh one the ones that you just cited like i listened to those first and i was like how did he get that why is it so clear but like it's just hollow enough that like you can tell it's obviously not human like not human like us um but it's it's so almost cleaned up without having to do anything to it. Like you didn't put any any uh, additional stuff on it, did you? No, we, we, this is exactly how it came out of the device. It's amazing. Uh, it, it it didn't have to. We didn't have to enhance it or or play with it or anything like that. Um, and and that's the great part about the this particular device. I mean. We, we tried to debunk this initially. I said, well, wait a second. This is just too good to be true. We're getting just really amazing stuff coming. There's got to be some reason for it. So one of my fellow researchers came up with an idea. Well, maybe somehow, uh, this is really far-fetched, that using a tablet or using a laptop, that when we're asking these questions, using these applications, that in some way we're broadcasting our questions and people, real people, are responding back to us through these devices, and we're picking these up. And I go, well, that's really far-fetched. So we took the step. We disabled our microphones on each of the devices. So we were not broadcasting out 
in Wi-Fi or whatever the case may be. And we were still getting responses like that. So that was pretty, pretty darn amazing. It's cool that you try, try to debunk yourself first. Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially when you get something like that. I mean, when I first started using, uh, or when I was first in, uh, in, introduced into what they call the ghost boxes or spirit boxes, uh, they were Frank's boxes and Joe's boxes and you know, all different names, boxes. Sometimes they were, and stuff sometimes like that, were, yeah. Yeah, sometimes they were mini portals, mini boxes. And I go, well, what you're just picking up, you're just picking up AMF and AMF and frequency bleed over from some radio station, and it's not scientific. And it wasn't until uh, my good friend uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, yes, uh, as as everybody everybody knows, uh, she passed just recently, and uh, I, I me and her went back more than thirty years. Uh, she was the one that kind of introduced me to this idea of, this, of the spirit boxes. And we were actually in Waverly Hills Sanitarium using a mini, a mini box. And, of course, you know, I think everybody knows what's happened at, at you know, Waverly Hills. It was a tuberculosis sanitarium. Thousands of people died. And we were actually in there trying to communicate with spirits, doctors, nurses, whatever. And we didn't even ask questions. And responses or it just words and full sentences were coming through. Uh, on, on two different occasions, we got the same gentleman basically just, just kind of blurt out a full sentence. And in one case, he says, need medical care. Communicate. And I go, well, crazy. I mean, think of this for a second. I mean, first of all, you're scanning at so many ch channels per second, and you're hearing, ch -ch 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 -ch, and each one of the ch is a station pretty much. To get a word, okay, you might be able to get a word, but to get, need medical care, that's scanning. That voice is actually being picked up and broadcast, if you go by this theory, over multiple channels in the same tonal quality, it's impossible. They must be speaking in the white noise between the stations. Now, just a few minutes later, that exact same voice comes through and he says, need therapy. So you have two different things, need medical care, and need therapy in a tuberculosis hospital. I thought that was pretty amazing. That was, and actually, I have to tell you, I was a big skeptic of those in the beginning, and I also knew Ro, and um, she kind of convinced me. She had a had one going one night and had recorded an entity saying her name, and no matter how many times you want to come up with arguments against it, the, con the concept that accidentally they're going to put together the name Rosemary Guiley, um, by accident from random frequencies is just astronomical. Yeah, we were, we, uh, I think the first time I, that might've been the second time. And the first time I might've been when we were actually down in Moundsville, uh, uh, prison out there in West Virginia. And we were down in what's called the sugar shack, which yeah. is, uh, down in the basement there. And she asked, what did you, what were you convicted of? And a few seconds later, murder comes through. So, I mean, again, to ask a question and to expect a radio frequency channel voice to come through at that exact same time and answer it in a way that you just ask the question is more far-fetched, perhaps, than maybe a spirit answering that question. Yeah, the context of, you know, getting the answer that would be uh, accurate for that particular place by accident has got to be such long odds. Yeah, there's a point where coincidence just becomes illogical, <laughs> I think. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, that's when I began getting into, you know, the spirit boxes. I started with the SP. Well, actually, we started with a hack shack, a radio, what they call a hack shack, radio shack, hack shack. Yep. Uh, but that was very, very slow. So you're actually picking up a lot of radio interference. Went to the SB7. That was a little faster, but the speaker was so indiscernible, you had to have an external speaker because you couldn't hear the sound coming through. The quality was, uh, um, the, the sound output was not very good. Graduated to what's called an SB11, uh, which actually has like two SB7s to, uh, side by side. You can go forward, reverse, reverse, forward, all the different combinations in there, AM and FM. Um, and actually, in that case, disconnect from the antenna in theory. You can actually physically turn off the antenna which in theory you're not receiving any radio signals at all, unless you're nearby, there's a nearby, say, a 50,000 watt receiver, That in, in which case, even if the, the antenna turned off, you might still possibly receive something. And even then, we were, for a fact, the very first time we used that device, we were in a place called Paris Hospital uh, in Paris, Illinois. And we were in one of the surgical suites, and I had simply said, uh, is, if you're here, say, can you say hello and can you yell out real loud? A couple seconds later, a female voice comes through and it says, hello. And that was the very first time we used that. And I go, wow, this is any indication of what it's going to be like and, you know, amazing. Yeah, definitely. When I was looking through your list of EVPs, Dale, I noticed that you had some stuff from Lemp Mansion. Yes. Um. I would love to um, listen to you tell me a little bit about the mansion and, and what you got there. Well, of course, you know, everybody knows, you know, pretty much knows of Lemp Mansion in St. Louis. It's uh, uh, it's, it's kind of like a, a, you know, a B&B today, you know, obviously associated with the Lemp you know, family. I mean, several members of the Lemp family actually committed suicide, uh, I think, a couple of them it's in the same room, if I, if memory serves me correctly. And uh, we were there. We actually rented out every single room one evening, and we had the entire place to ourselves. You know, after the party, went let out downstairs, which yeah. was kind of crazy, about 2 o'clock in the morning. But we finally got some peace and quiet. And uh, we were just actually just setting up. We were just setting up our cameras. We're just setting up our equipment, putting up our tripods, stringing cable and all that. And you could actually, one of the people that were with us decided, well, I'm just going to turn a recorder on, a, a, a digital recorder, uh, just in case we get anything. As we're just setting up, which sometimes that happens. I've noticed that over and over again. So you kind of hear us kind of like talking in the background uh, you hear like cases being popped open, tripods being extended and so forth. And then you hear one of the craziest sounding voices I think I've ever caught. And it had to be an EVP because nobody heard it. Mm -hmm. uh, first thought was that, okay, somebody had left a TV on or a radio on in the other room. But if that would have been the case, somebody would have probably turned it off because we're getting ready to set up. And this very high-pitched male voice, I believe, or it could have been a female voice. It's hard, hard to tell. It kind of says, I'm on fire. I'm on fire. Help me. I'm on fire. I'm on fire. And he screams like that for several seconds. I mean, it must have went on for a good 10, 12 seconds, and then it stopped. And nobody heard that. Nobody reacted to that. They just went on their merry business about setting up equipment. So it had to be a true EVP, and that was the most interesting part. We we weren't even investigating yet, and we got something very unusual. I've had that experience. Unfortunately, everybody wants to do it the quick way today, and so they don't want to leave a recorder running. But I've had several really good Class A EVPs when we were setting up, or even in a break room area. Where, and one in particular. Um, at a place called the U.S. Hotel in Holidaysburg, we were sitting there relaxing, and I, one of the ladies asked her son to go get her a glass of water, and I said, hey, if you're going, would you mind grabbing me one, too? And you hear a third female voice come on, very slow and very clear, and it says, yes, water, please. And there were only two women there. <laughs> wow. So I, I, I love it when those things happen. 
Yes, um, especially, you know, it's almost like they're interacting with you at the same time because you've asked for water and water comes through. So, uh, and we know that ghosts have an affinity for running water, water anyway. And, and, you know, they like to flush toilets. They like to turn water faucets off and on and so forth. So you're talking about water. That's right up your alley, so to speak. Yeah, episode four of this podcast, we called the bathroom episode because so many stories <laughs> that we had personally took place in bathrooms. Kenny believes in haunted bathrooms. He's had several haunted bathrooms. Several stories. experiences. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, and, and and for some reason, don't ask me why. It seems like it's always the woman's washroom. Uh, we got we got to get some more you know diversity here, so it gets more into the male washrooms too as well. well at least you'll know I'm one. It it was two different male washrooms. Um, yeah, that wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> it was he, fun though. He's already working on it for you, Dale. <laughs> Great, great. So um, I have to ask you, what are you guys doing currently? Well, we are in the process of working on some um, uh, investigations, both locally and out of state here. We have one coming up uh, hopefully this weekend at, at, at in Aurora, Illinois, called Spring Lake Cemetery. We actually have, get permission to go into the cemetery after dark when the cemetery is closed. Uh, it's never been investigated before. Um, I've partnered myself with a group called Afterlife Tours that actually gets us into these cemeteries at night. And it's, it's really kind of neat because the, um, they do a very nice uh, job not only just setting this stuff up but also giving back to the cemetery because a lot of what they, uh, they take in for the admission goes in back to the cemetery for restoration, for uh, monument repair, uh, things of that nature, but I think it's a very noble cause. I like that. Can and I jump also, on that? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Dale. I'm sorry. I was going to say you can go to afterlifetours.com uh, or you can go to my my website under under the ghost tour link, and they're one of the first ones right on top there, and then people can go right to that page right there. Um, we also, uh, September 14th, we're going to be going out to the Bel Air House in Bel Air, Ohio, uh, which is uh, supposed to be a pretty creepy location, and we're going to be staying there overnight. So um, there's been lots of reports of uh, apparitions, um, you know, obviously a lot of uh, sounds that people have heard, footsteps, things of that nature, shadow play, uh, which is uh, uh, always good. I mean, you know, sound is great, but obviously I think visuals is even better because that's when you see something with your naked eye. You can capture it on on film or videotape. Uh, it, it's 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 amazing. So, um, what is your website so people can go on and um, check it out? Because this is a place any serious ghost hunter needs to visit. Uh, the website is www.ghostresearch.org. Ghostresearch.org. Um, there you can find information not only about the group. Uh, the equipment we use, where to purchase the equipment, what it's used for. There's a section on spirit photography. Um, there is um, all our evidence posted up there from different locations uh, all across the country. Obviously, all public sites that you can actually uh, visit yourself. Um, there's links to other interesting pages. There's uh, uh, local history uh, sections. Uh, uh, people can find out more about uh how to purchase my books, my DVDs, and things of that nature. They're also on the site as well. Cool. I'll link that for sure. Yeah. Um, can I jump on that, on, on uh, your evidence um, that you're talking about? Uh, so with all the evidence that you do uh, get, like where is the goalpost for your group? Like the, I guess if I had to ask for a mission statement, what, what are you, are you trying to prove to people the afterlife or or is there a greater goal or what are you guys trying to do well initially my uh, the idea when i first got involved uh with uh chasing after evidence like this and and uh going to uh, uh, creepy places and so forth was to really prove the existence of ghosts and if i i figured if i could prove definitively, which I don't know how you would say that. I mean, science is always going to be your enemy, so to speak, because they want to have it scientifically reproduced under laboratory conditions, which is not possible. 
but some way that you could convince science and other people that ghosts did exist, maybe through the preponderance of evidence that you've captured throughout the years, personal experiences, uh, you know, and so forth. If you can then prove that ghosts existed for sure, then you could definitely say that there's life after death because they go hand in hand. And that's what really got me involved was to try to find out uh, that if there was an afterlife, I think everybody's curious about that. I mean, you, you basically you know, general re religion teaches us that, you know, we're only on the earth for a short period of time, and yet there is something else beyond our death. And I wanted to try to prove this in one way, shape, or form through investigations and, uh, you know, collecting evidence, collecting this data, and then giving it to the general public to try to analyze, and maybe even scientists that were so inclined to do so. Awesome. It's quite a mission. It is, and uh, it's a continuing mission. Um, you know, I'm not quite uh, willing to hang up my shingle anytime soon <laughs> because it's uh, I'm having too much fun doing it. It's a it's a very re rewarding uh, uh, endeavor. And I, I've met so many interesting people. I've been to so many interesting places. I have so many under places uh, yet to experience. And you know, with the 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 way the technology is advancing uh, so so rapidly uh, from when where I started back in the late '70s to what it is today, I mean, I wouldn't be a bit surprised in the next five to ten, maybe fifteen years tops. There's going to be something like an Edison machine. There's going to be something very definitive uh, that people are going to be able to maybe plug into or de you know de 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 devise in some way that actually can make that bridge that communication gap from this side to the other side, or even those that might be kind of in an earthbound scenario to actually talk to. And then that, in my opinion, would be the the you know the, kind of the straw that broke the camel's back pretty much that, you know, indicating that there is really something after we die. And even if, if, if the genius Edison thought there was a possibility, he was actually trying to build a device. Uh, and people like Einstein to say that energy can't be created nor destroyed, uh, that it just disperses or goes into, into a different energy form. I mean, these are, these are people that uh, had their mind in different, different directions. I mean, they were you know, they had nothing really to do with ghosts until maybe later on in their lifetime as they were maybe getting older and wondering, is this all there is? Yeah, well, he came up with the theory of relativity just by sitting at his table without even thinking about it, right? So maybe we should listen to him. <laughs> maybe he <laughs> just had that brain that received like Akashic Records or something crazy like that, you know? <laughs> Well, Dale, sure. I have to tell you, I'm looking forward to hearing about what happens in some of these investigations later on. And I want to thank you so very much for um, everything you've done. If there was one last thing you would tell ghost hunters that are coming into the field today, what would it be? Well, I would always, uh, one thing I always like to try to tell people is don't jump into this field with both feet. Uh, do what I did, join a group Maybe maybe a well-established group. It doesn't have to be my group. Uh, I hope it would be my group, but, I mean, it doesn't have to be my group. But join a well-established group that's been around for a long time. Um, there are no experts in the field. I, I, I like to call it – I like to say there are people that have more whiskers than other people. They've been around a little bit longer. And learn from them um, – before you just jump in with both feet. I mean, I worked with a research assistant for five years before I actually got involved with my own group completely, 100%. So I think if you do that and you kind of kind of toe the line kind of slow, it really kind of gives you an idea that whether or not this is really what you really want to do. I mean, it's not something that you're going to make, be able to make a living off of. It's going to be more of a vocation or a hobby for me, it's more of a full-time thing because then I can devote my full-time towards it, which is very, uh, very rewarding, very, you know, uh, very exciting. But uh, uh, again, just try to learn from other people that have been in the, down the same path for many, many years. 
read books, go to libraries, uh, go on conferences, go to workshops, uh, talk to people in the paranormal field, and uh, make friends with those that are out there, and you'll learn a lot. Listen to paranormal podcasts. Is that one of them? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Well, I have to tell you, I agree with you 100%. There is no substitute for experience and getting it the firsthand way, learning it from others who've already done it, they've made their mistakes, teaching you, and then you take the next step forward. And Dale, I thank you so much for your time tonight. And oh, for I do sharing. have one. Oh, one sorry. I'm sorry. I, I just have one other question yes. that I've been thinking of a way to work in, but it hasn't happened yet. Um, do you, so we talked about in a different episode about like different types of paranormal groups. Some are fully sensitive, some are fully tech the uh, ones like patties are mixed is is your uh, organization are they mixed like do you have sensitives that that join you guys or are you pretty much just like tech based well i always wanted to get into not that i have anything against people that are intuitive or psychic or anything like that is i like to try to get into an area where there's less chance of skepticism because people that are intuitive, and I have worked with a number of intuitive psychics, clairvoyants, very gifted people in my in my in in, in my lifetime, uh, but it's it's what they gather is a subjective experience. It's mm-hmm. something. It's not something that you can actually physically prove, unless you're talking and and you're gathering facts that you have no knowledge of. So my my idea was getting involved with this was trying to get being able to gather what I call hard evidence, trying to stay a little bit more scientifically based with the equipment, uh, with personal experiences and so forth to see what that yields. Now we do have people in our group that are somewhat I would call them not you know full blown psychics, but maybe you know intuitives mm-hmm. or or slightly sensitive, and they that they do experience stuff now then and even after all the cases i've been involved with and you, after a while it kind of like rubs off on you that eventually you just kind of become a little more sensitive yourself or in tune to what's going on because you just experience it so often so i don't think there's anything wrong with a group being just totally scientific uh, totally intuitive or somewhere in between but i think that you know if if it's mixed right and you have just the right amount of you know, people that are scientific and those that are that are that are sensitive. I think you you complement one another in the field in what you're trying to do. It's kind of what we yeah. reach to. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I mean, with my guys, um, we have guys that are tech guys, and that's all they do, and they keep their information till the end. And the guys that are sensitive, they write down what they are experiencing. They don't say it out loud. They hand it to me, and then I've already done the interviewing with the families and what have you. And then I lay all the pieces out and look and see where they overlap. Right. And that's how we actually work our investigations when we go into private homes or private businesses. Uh, Somebody has to interview the client. Usually that's myself. So I'll sit down or telephone interview or whatever, interview the client. And I'm the only person that knows about it. So when I bring in my team, they're brought in totally ice cold. All they know is they're going to a site that allegedly has some paranormal phenomena going on. They don't know what 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 room it's in, uh, what kind of phenomena, what people have seen, experienced, and I think it's more scientific that way because that way people don't have any preconceived notions of what's going on. They don't all scurry towards the basement or scurry towards the creepy <laughs> attic because that's where the, you would expect the stuff to be. They kind of go room to room with their equipment, their own feelings, uh, and then jot it down, bring it back to the client. Uh, we do it in like three phases. And then, you know, before the client even tells what they've experienced, we tell the client what we've experienced. So I think it's more scientific that way. And then we go back and we try to set up cameras and equipment and different devices at locations, which are hotspots, try to make communications. Uh, and then in, in some case, try to give the, the, the client some answers for what might be going on. Awesome. That's, that's exactly what we try to do. I, I agree with you. It's the perfect um, marriage. If you're going to do both, it's the perfect marriage. And to give them some answers is really important because I've, I've always been frustrated with groups that say things like, yep, you got a ghost. Good luck with that. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> See ya. So if someone did need your help in that respect, like how does one go about uh, getting you guys? getting a hold of you guys? 
Well, again, the easiest way probably would be through my website. They can go directly to ghostresearch.org or they can email me at dale, D-A-L-E, at ghostresearch.org. Or they can call me if they want. I can give up my phone number if you don't mind putting it on the air. It's seven oh. Yeah, if you want to. It's seven zero eight four two five five one six three. Just when people call, just try not to call at three o'clock in the morning, but because uh, <laughs> we won't answer the phone anyway. But uh, uh, but I, you know, we worked in in all walks walks of life from um, from people that. Uh, I've had very terrifying experiences to people that just simply want some general reassurance that they're not going crazy, that they want people to come in to determine there is something there, maybe to debunk what might be there, maybe to give an alternate explanation for what might be there. Um, We normally don't bring in psychics during our first investigation as it's usually kind of a fact-finding mission to find out there is something there or if it's something that can be debunked and then we don't have to waste any more time on it. I mean, I hate to say it like that, but I mean, it's it's a general idea that we're trying to find out uh, the facts, just like uh, uh, they used to say in the old movie Dragnet, just the facts, just the facts. Right. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Dale. We really appreciate you being on and hope to hear from you again, if you wouldn't mind coming back. Absolutely. I enjoyed it. And um, uh, good luck uh, with your your radio show in the future. And uh, I look forward to being a guest sometime in the future, if you'd like to have me back on again. Oh, you most certainly will be. Thank you, sir. Oh, thank you. All right. Have a good one. Bye-bye. You too. Good night. Bye.